0: Know what you want are you looking to scale you want to be able to cover the magazine you want to make a lot of money you want to do something innovative you're okay you're taking time you need livelihood you got to know what you want when you're scale starting a startup because that's going to enable what you build a team we build and by the way everything is going to change in terms of the detail right the type of product how you go to market the tech you use how you're for all of that and we know that's like literally the iteration but if you don't know what you want no amount of changes is are going to get you anywhere. And when you do, you're not going to be satisfied.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Oh, I'm Chris Hobbs, president and co-founder of TTT Studio. a digital consulting and software development studio where we design and build next generation digital products. And I am super duper excited to have the Tawfiq Rahim as the guest of episode 83 of the Afternoon Tea podcast. Tawfiq, let me just set this up if you please. Tawfiq Rahim is one of Canada's global citizens. He's an investor and an international problem solver. Over the last two decades, and in over 20 countries, Tawfiq has driven investment, convened conversations, carbon and brought together public and private partnerships addressing the most pertinent global issues, from disruptive technology, to economic development, to geopolitics, to global health. His current focus is on shifts in the global order and how individuals and institutions can capture opportunity in a time of a rising challenge. He's also building 2040 Ventures, a global platform with a strong belief in the transformative power of technology of decentralization. This was inspired by the venture syndicate he founded with two partners, YVRDXB, to help put a global spotlight on Vancouver's tech startups. Tafik is a senior fellow in the International Security Program at New America and a fellow at the Mohammed bin Rashid School of Government. He's previously worked with McKinsey and company, the Aga Khan Foundation, and the United Nations, and was the founder of Globesight, a global development firm. Tafik received his master's in public policy from the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University and his undergraduate from Princeton University. He is regularly cited by leading publications, including the Financial Times, CNN, Bloomberg, Washington Post, New York Times, CNBC, among others, and just as important, He's originally from beautiful Vancouver, BC, Canada, where I am today. Tofiq, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you for having me, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad we're able to do hopefully what is the first of many conversations. That I love. That I love. That I love. Well,
1: so you're 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 originally from Dubai. Or sorry,
0: originally from Vancouver, based in Dubai, but right now, where are you? So right now, I'm in New York. So actually. Uh, I grew up in Vancouver, I left at 17, and I've spent a lot of the past decade based in Dubai, kind of like this basin to that part of the world. Uh, but a few years ago, I opened up an office in New York, and I just love the energy here. Uh, and there's so much connectivity, including a lot of uh, Canadians, mm-hmm. either here or passing through, founders, startups, investors, all types. Uh, um, and so, and of course, New York in the spring is always uh, always great.
1: It is beautiful, and the pizza's good too. I'll give you. I'll give that one too. Well, you have a tagline that I that I thought was pretty interesting: "The world differently." What do you mean by
0: that? Well, you know, it's it's kind of you know we're in a time of you know complete and transformative change. Uh, you know, on one hand, on the geopolitical side, that everybody's then, then also on the technology side, and they're happening concurrently. And you know, the world is radically changing, and it's becoming different across every metric: economic, mm-hmm. cultural political, et cetera. And so how you engage in that, whether you are leading an institution or in kind of some of the things you know we work on and and we'll talk about if you're investing or if you're scaling a startup, you have to do that differently. And so that's kind of the tagline that's there for myself personally, but also the kind of different uh, you know entities I'm now incubating and and, and growing. Um, and trying to encourage everybody to kind of just be in that simple way, just think differently uh, about how you're uh, engaging out there. I love that. I love that.
1: Think differently. That I, that that is a great way to go. Well, tell me about Twenty Forty Ventures. That's that's one of your latest uh, projects.
0: Yeah. So you know, I think there was over the last number of years, and it's been interesting because you know now I'm just trying to spend a little bit more time in Vancouver. always c- coming back through and trying to maintain that connection. Uh, and then I've been out there in the world, which I call middle earth, you know, kind of all the way from uh, Turkey and Morocco, uh, to, you know, Sri Lanka. So you've got South Asia, Africa, the Middle East, and that's like 4 billion kind of people, which is, you know, yeah. half the world. And uh, so, you know, we always think about the West and East Asia, but there's this entire, you know, uh, territory there where you have the largest growing population. You have the largest middle class, the largest rise in consumer spending. And if we go to 2050, 60. Africa will be the only growing population in the world, right? So, uh, you know, I've been kind of doing different types of angel investing and in Vancouver with a couple of uh, partners. We had a syndicate, we invested in a couple of AI companies. uh, And over there, you know, so much excitement. Uh, And so I decided to kind of consolidate an investment philosophy and thesis and be a little bit more structured about what I'm doing. Uh, and still focus on the pre-seed, seed, and kind of long-term vision of transformative technology, but uh, that's kind of where 2040 Ventures uh, is kind of coming about. And uh, you know where we're looking is definitely things that can scale, especially over medium to long-term, in what I call Middle Earth. But also things that respond to the way the world is changing, the way how it's going to be different. Uh, and that's where technology that can really be transformative in that setting, particularly as it's more fragmentation. And that's the idea where we have around decentralized tech. Obviously, we're trying a little bit to stay out of the hype cycle. Uh, and I think one of the you know hard things in venture is anything, something these days gets good, everybody finds out, and the 99% becomes hype. Probably some of that even a scam, as we saw with some of Oof. the Web3. Even though the underlying concept, the value, the drive, uh, the success stories are there, but you kind of have to navigate through. So we'll have our, we have some challenges out in front of us as we kind of build this. But of course, you know, I think we'll we'll lean in on on people like you and PTT to kind of also see where we can partner and and and, and focus. In my hope, uh, you know, in Vancouver, uh, which I think is got, is always an underrated place uh, for for startups uh, and and the tech scene.
1: No, oh, I hear, I hear you. Well, you know, I mean, we were was really lucky. I guess it was two weeks ago during TED, you were in town, and uh, in, you know, either, we we, we got to hang out a little bit, and uh, you know, I got to learn a little bit more about what you're doing and about your roots here in Vancouver, and uh, um, and, and and so you do have this, um, I guess you call it a syndicate of uh, YVR I mean, I can figure out what those are. I've been to both of those cities and both
0: those airports. <laughs> but t- tell me a little bit about the syndicate. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. You know about. Ten years ago, uh, and it's it's quite fascinating. Uh, there was a big, you know, schism between the UAE on one hand and Canada, mm. and it was related uh, to a flight. And so yeah. there was some dispute that came on, then the personalities got involved. They got to the level of actually the heads of, heads of government from each country, and they cut relations very temporarily. Uh, and there was a there was a trip in which uh, John Baird came, who was then the foreign minister, where he actually started the pathway about 10 years ago to restore this relationship. But uh-huh. only last week did a flight get, a, new flights get established between Canada and the UAE. And I, I sit, I think as you know, on the board of the Canada UE Business Council, this was one of uh-huh. the things we worked on. And so it's like this combination of things. But in the midst of that, where uh, she started this, an entity called YVR DXB, kind of the two airports, kind of a signal to say, on one hand, you know, we should be connecting these two places, which for some people is like, why, why these two places? I'll get to that, but <laughs> also kind of the idea that, you know, Dubai is global capital, right? Outside mm-hmm. of Singapore, it's kind of this capital into the world. And when you're scaling from Vancouver, you think I go to Vancouver, then maybe the rest of Canada, then down to the US, then Anglo countries like the UK, then Europe, you don't really think I can go straight into the world. If we wanted to kind of change and say, so you can launch kind of immediately. Viet- and we kind of came together and met with a lot of people. And- and the scene in Vancouver across some of the kind of longer term uh, kind of uh, tech tech sectors, and we ended up investing in, in several uh, AI companies at that time. I think it was 2018, uh-huh. uh, and so that's kind of where it came from. And I think now that the flight is being uh, re- you know being established, we kind of mm-hmm. that mission has also happened. So we might end up uh, rebranding to YVR Ventures. So that's okay. kind of uh, uh, a little bit uh, underway uh, as well.
1: Well, that's 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 super interesting. And yeah, I got to admit, I mean, I, I do fly into Dubai, and there is no direct Vancouver Dubai flight. I really wish there was. I always have to go via Seattle or Toronto. Um, so I guess there's there's no way to fix that. But you you mentioned the Canada. So you... I
0: will invite you to the I will invite you to the inauguration of that flight in October if you're around for it. Is us. is there? So now? We, there will be an inaugural kind of flight in October from Air Canada. We'll have a little shindig and. Uh, Chris you are invited. oh I would love that I would love that because that's that's
1: actually a great flight I mean 15 hours and you're there you know it's it's the right it's the right way to do it um well tell me a little bit more about the Canada UAE business Council I mean I, I did a little bit of research with some pretty
0: interesting people uh pretty powerful people too on that what's what's the mission see you know the mission I think that of the council is to enhance trade investment and people-to-people ties between the two countries and it's a business council that sits between The two countries, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, normally you have a business council within one jurisdiction or not. What's unique about this is that it actually sits uh, with members who are based in Canada and based in the UAE, and not just any members. Some of the leading institutions, right? So uh, everybody from Brookfield, uh, you know, in Canada, TD Securities, to Mubadala and Adnoc in the UAE, and so these are some of the largest uh, companies, institutions in the world. Uh, coming together. And so we're really kind of excited about that because it really shows the potential, uh, not uh-huh. just of you know these two countries, but Canada, right? And it, it, I think when you look out to the U-Best, you're talking about, yes, an 80% relationship, really a huge market, uh-huh. but at, when you're you're not able to make the same type of strategic and institutional ties. And so that's what makes the UAE Canada Business Council so unique. And unlike in another country, let's like say the UK and we're still, even though the relationship is advanced, like DP World owns the port in Vancouver. There's all sorts mm-hmm. of, you know, Brookfield owns, the uh, is the co-owner of the major investment tower, uh, commercial tower in the in downtown Dubai called Brookfield ICD. So there is a lot of links deep uh, already. Still so in the nas- nascent stage of this kind of relationship between the two countries. And of course, for me, I'm, you know, in this room, as I've always been, uh, trying to bring voice to actually the wider set of the economy, which is entrepreneurs, which are people who are scaling new things. And I think that's very exciting. That represents mm-hmm. the vitality of uh, you know, our country and in, in in Canada. And so that's kind of the role I play. Um obviously I still have all my obligations uh as 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 a board member and to, you know, whatever support I give. So it's it's a it, it can be a costly proposition, but it is an important one, I think, to 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 champion that uh, you know when you're around in that in on that table.
1: No, I think I think it's important because so I think we need to have more institutions that bring ties between these two countries. Because you know at the end of the day we don't really compete on a lot of things, but we do complement. Um, and I think you know they. I, I would say the only thing we compete in is they might have as many Tim Hortons as we do in Canada. I, it's shocking how many you'll find there
0: yeah I mean the Tim Hortons. I think the Tim Warrens Empire is expanding. I mean if people went to India and Pakistan now they'd even be surprised oh, yeah. uh, so we have a little bit of Canadian brand visibility for the first time, so uh, that's not always been the case, so I think it's something uh, maybe people need to gap <laughs> that's
1: awesome. Well, startup life how is it in uh, the middle east slash u a e compared to canada is it is it similar is it uh uh you know really thriving uh, what what what's the state like?
0: yeah, I mean, I think you know. So middle east quite quite diverse right and it's quite exciting because you have every type of environment from turkey to uh, you know the uae to egypt egypt is a 100 million person country right mm-hmm. so you just look at that from a market size quite significant very much a lot of startups focused on scalable fmcg type you know consumer facing uh, ty- uh you know type product and they work really well. So if you think about it in the US, you have a big market if you can scale, that's fantastic. In in Saudi Arabia, you have significant resources. Uh, it's you know a 30, 40 million you know, person country. Uh, the startup is getting a lot of energy from top down, but you have a lot of creative south. The UAE mm-hmm. is quite fascinating because it's 10 million people, only 1 million are national. So 9 million are from outside. So you essentially mm-hmm. have, okay, you have the renegades, you have the Russians, you have a lot of people coming in to to the UAE, but you also have startup founders from all over the world, and particularly those that can't get integration to the West. Where do you go if you're from Pakistan, if you're from Bangladesh, if you're from Kenya, you get to Dubai, and you scale and start an idea, and you start to see something special now that you might not have seen 10 years ago, of people really doing things. And now there's DMZ is working with an accelerator out there to bring startups from the UAE into Canada. Interesting. So it's, it's it's the 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 landscape is starting to change in a in a very unique way. And then we could talk about Turkey, which is another place we're looking at, at twenty forty ventures to place an investment at this quarter. Turkey is, you know the the largest economy of the future in Europe, you know? And so mm-hmm. what's going on there in terms of talent, in terms of startups, is unbelievable, and people will be surprised, you know, and we don't even talk about Turkey, right? Um, and that's a g twenty country, et cetera. So you know, you're talking about two g twenty countries in Saudi and uh, Turkey in in the uh, in the Middle East. And if you went to g thirty, if that doesn't exist yet, you're talking about even more. So it's quite a quite a sizable footprint uh,
1: there, well, I think that's interesting. I think Turkey is very, especially as you know if if with the new election, if they have a more liberal or we'll call it more democratic movement, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for uh, for for for, investment, for, for, um, startups, for, you know, col- um, just collaboration. Uh, I think it's, I've been again to Turkey too. And it's, it's a wonderful country, uh, with, with, with a huge population that that really wants to look West in my thoughts. I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm glad to know yeah. you're looking there.
0: I think what's interesting is like the notions of East and West have changed in the sense that if, so for sure, there's a lot, there's like Anglicization, internationalization this the sector. Well, what's fascinating is, you know, and that's where you, sh- you see Turkey and then you see Dubai and they see Islamabad. You get people who are playing, you know, within there. I have a friend. He's actually, uh, his family's Canadian. He's Canadian-ish. His wife is Canadian. We're <laughs> trying to like complete the the, the situation he with Mudassar Sheikha and Mudassar co-founded Kareem, which was a $3 <laughs> billion, you know dollar exit to Uber, uh, <laughs> you know, did ride sharing, now they're creating the Kareem One app and he spun it out and he's just a great guy. Um, and, you know, Medassar founded Kareem in Dubai, yeah. but it covers everything from like North Africa into South Asia. He's never come to Europe or, or the West. And so what's interesting is, you know, if, if you start to inhabit in that space and in Turkey, they have this, they can look both Eastern because 'Cause am literally right. And you know, this like, <laughs> literally it's situated on uh, the landmass, you know, bordering Europe and Asia. And that's what's actually what what is brilliant about Turkey.
1: Oh, yeah. But, you know, you're right about the East-West. I mean, one thing that actually really um, impressed me, and I think we talked a little bit about this uh, two weeks ago between you and I, is when I was in the taxi um, in, um, um, uh, where was I, Ismail or wherever in Turkey, um, this was in 2018 when um, there was a lot of Syrian refugees everywhere. And it was a it was a, t- a troubling time. But you, you could see them. They were dressed very differently. You could tell they were not to Turkish citizens and they're on the street asking and I, and I asked, you know, when, when Europe was kind of, you know, trying to put walls up and all this, and I asked the, the driver, um, what his thoughts were, because, you know, there were, there were many immigrants, um, from that region that that had come to Turkey. And he told me that they should not be going to Europe. They should be staying in Turkey and that they're welcome here because we're all brothers. And that this is something that we are happy to have them. And and after hearing so much about the Europeans say, hey, no, you know, we're doing everything we can to put up walls. And you hear about all these unfortunate souls dying, you know, trying to get to Europe. I was so pleased to hear someone say, hey, you're welcome. And they, they should be here. And that, that really touched me. And um, so that, that made, me, made me think about, uh, you know, how Turkey is looking both East and West, as you said.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one. You know, I think one of the keys... You know, I think to being a startup is to be apolitical, uh, but then to also understand political balance, uh, and also understand your identity, right? So it's kind of like you're apolitical naturally, but you never forego your identity, and that might okay. get you into politics, but it's very intrinsic to who you are, right? So if you're like, our startup is about creating equitable access to finance. You right. might not be political, but anybody who's supporting equitable access to finance and those principles, you're going to champion, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it seems contradictory, but it's more paradoxical and you can be both, but the other thing is when you're starting to work out in the world and to be perfectly honest, now in our polar polarized environments in the West, including the U.S., where everything is political, you have to look for places and jurisdictions of balance. So even in Turkey, and I mentioned this because when you were there, 100%, they were like, come here, we're welcoming. Now it's a central part of the political election, which, you know, is, there's a lot of issues where a lot of Turks want to send the Syrian refugees back home. Oh, really? Uh, and saying, there's been an oversight well, we want to keep, you know, some of them here, but, you know, how, how many can we keep? Uh, and, you know, I think one of the things that we've gone away from in a lot of jurisdictions is political ballots. And because that, there's always going to be different undercurrents, right? So even in, when we go to venture, okay, 20 years ago, when you're talking about BC and, and where we were in, in San Francisco and, and Half Moon Bay and et cetera, you're talking about the people who were at the frontier pushing the envelope, almost like the anti Wall Street, right? Mm-hmm. But now with the financialization of the tech sector, uh, you almost, they, the tech sector has become Wall Street. So when SBB happened, people a lot of people were like cheerleading and so this idea of like balance you, something can be one way but it's too much of a good thing kind of creates an imbalance and that when right. you're operating as let's say an investment fund or a tech startup you're thinking of the old paradigm but yet things have gone off and changed uh, and, and that's that happens kind of so quickly these days so I just thought about that when you were, you were speaking uh, because you know definitely like I saw that, and then I've seen some of the change uh, in Turkey on that particular issue.
1: Wow, the push and pull, the push and pull, and you and you mentioned Half Moon Bay, where I believe we dressed up as cowboys and yeah. uh, had had a casino night with the C one hundred. there's some
0: pictures out there. Yeah, oh, right. We, yeah. we
1: we might need to hide. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Me as a cowboy. Yeah, not 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 so sure. But I don't think yeah. I differentiate from any of the others. But how, I mean, I know one or two C one hundred members in the UAE have. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and last week we had. Or on Monday, we actually had Vancouver bowling night with this with this C one hundred, which was which we missed you for. It was uh, it was very interesting. <laughs> but how uh, do you? Is there any is there any weight of the uh, of the C one hundred in the uh, the the UAE at all?
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. I was at a C one hundred event on Thursday in New York. Uh, oh, and, uh, that was, that's, uh, somebody who's an offer, uh, their, their, their place, We had some people here. Mm-hmm. So it's still kind of interesting. I think that's the unique thing about C-Learn. Like you're doing an event in Vancouver. We were in Half Moon Bay. We're talking mm-hmm. about it in Dubai. Uh, I went to an event in New York. I think that's the beauty of C-100. Sure. I think if we're able to activate that in a, in a deeper way, really create that sense of community where, you know, any one of us, and we, it happened naturally, I think between the two of us. You know, it's a great way for people and then our respective ecosystems to reach each other around the world. I think the idea in in Dubai was saying, well, look, there's no chapter in South Asia, there's no chapter in Africa, there's no chapter in the Middle East. Let's create something uh-huh. here, and then kind of, you know, and there's so many Canadians out there, right? And all, I mean, we're talking in, like I said, four billion people, a lot of them are Canadians. Just a- more a- Canadians in the UAE than Americans. So it's 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 fascinating. Right, but. Uh, it's more informal right now, I think, but C100 itself is undergoing its own thinking about its future. So hopefully, we can encourage them to really cultivate that uh, that global community uh, there. But you know, let's see, I think we had a great set of conversations in Half Moon Bay, and so hopefully, we'll, we can co-host an event next time, Chris.
1: That I would love. Without the bowling though, boy, I'm not going to be bowling too Oh, much. really? Oh, yes. What is,
0: it's not pretty. What was your score? Oh, it was, well,
1: it's Canadian bowling, where, I don't know if you remember the five-pin bowling, which is only found in Scotland and Canada. Um, so, but one of, one of the guys, Danny, I think it was Danny, he ended up getting, like, oh my gosh, I think he, out of the ten bowls, I think he had, like, seven seven straights and a strike or something like that. Like, he was, uh, so, there were seven spares and a strike. I can't believe how well so wait, he bowled.
0: Is, is it, I remember the five-pin, but isn't there also... The ten-pin mm-hmm. bowling in Canada. Now, there is. There, there is. is. For, I used for... to go as a kid. Like, you have the birthday parties. Uh... Yep, exactly, exactly. I, I feel like Chris, I need to take you proper bowling back. Proper bowling. I, 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 yeah. well, I bet you Dubai you it's
1: them? a lot more flashy. The, the you know golden
0: balls and the whole bit, right? <laughs> I don't think I've. I think I've been bowling once out there. I don't know. I Have to go there's back a, in the memory bank. There's a lot of other things to do in Dubai. Lots of other things to do. Yeah. We How? used to, I remember in grad school, I was in grad school in Boston, we went bowling uh, you know, to one of those places yeah, with all the lights and you know, I don't know what was going on. It was like a party up there. Mm-hmm. So I think bowling has escalated since whenever I used to go back in Vancouver.
1: <laughs> well, you're a senior fellow with the International Security Program mm-hmm. with the New America. What is up with this role? What does that mean and what does it entail?
0: So, you know, I think as you know, like I have a little bit of the advisor side, have the investor hat, um, but then I also have this kind of policy and and uh, you know uh, writer hat and and where I'm really generating a lot of thinking around you know global geopolitics, but especially within that, how do you actually still you know push for change? How do you achieve kind of certain things that are important from a international level? and so, The fellowship at at New America, which is one of the uh, think tanks in DC, it's a centrist think tank, is really uh, about bringing some of those ideas into focus and allows me to kind of speak with others who are working on similar topics and be part of that milieu. I think, you know, and you'll know this from my my long CV that you read at the beginning, (laughs) uh, you know, I've inhabited a lot of worlds that could seemingly be closed, you know, and uh, that were this cloister discussions. One of the things you know, you know, from an investment standpoint, is if you can connect the dots between circles that are closed, uh, it's it's quite exciting. And so that there is a world in D.C. that's this closed think tank circle, and this is kind of allows me to you know be part of that uh, and uh, understand it uh, without getting into trouble, let's say. Fair enough. Let's not get into trouble at all. Well, you know what? Speaking
1: of the opposite of Think Tank then, um, an organization that right. I've always been really impressed with, the Aga Khan Foundation, uh, which has deep roots in Canada, uh, and even with the with the Trudeau family, uh, for, for good or bad, for some of the stories that they have published, but at the same time, I think it's a, as, a, as an organization, and the Aga Khan for himself, is a fascinating individual. Um, but what was your role with this group, and what did you do?
0: Yes, I mean, it was interesting, you know, I, I was working in D.C., one of my first jobs out of college, and uh, I had gone one of the summers out to Syria when I was an uh, undergrad. And and part of what I was focused on, I was studying international affairs, studying Arabic, studying Middle East, and I had an interest in international development. So I got this opportunity to go out one summer uh, and uh, spend some time there when the Khan Foundation was just starting out in Syria. Mm-hmm. And so the global head of the rural development program in Geneva. I was working. DC, said, "I need some support uh, in a few countries to help kind of scale, evaluate some of our programs. Can you can you come out?" And so I signed a contract uh, and flew out to Tajikistan as my yeah. first assignment. And uh, I it's basically c- over that uh, <laughs> next yeah. Well, that's uh, Dushanbe. Oh, and uh, Dushanbe, uh, Kyrgyzstan. I got it mixed up. Kirsten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. know you have roots. I know you have roots over. You have some <laughs> links over on, on that side of the world, but uh, Dushanbe. The, the capital yep. of Tijik says Dushanbe, which means Monday, right? Oh. So it's like Dushanbe, Yekshanbe, uh, Dushanbe, Tishanbe. Yeah, exactly. It's as far as me. And uh, yeah, so I basically spent the better part of a year and a half working in villages. Uh, and working on economic development, civil society development in Tajikistan, in Syria, in rural India, and then I would be in Geneva for stints, where I would see what life is like, and then and then then head back out. So that really gave me a grounding on kind of uh, change at a very grassroots level, and uh, you know, obviously the Aga Khan Foundation works in both east and west, so it helped me kind of think through that a little bit as well. Yeah, no,
1: I'm I'm still waiting till the, there's a movie about the Aga Khan because. Um, uh, Again, got um, such a fast. I mean, originally a Persian. What descent. movie is that? No, what I think there should that? be. There needs to be a biography because this, this. Oh, the, there the needs to be. I have a so friend who's created fascinating. a fascinating. It's
0: on. It's on Amazon. Really? He's a, he's a founder in 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 base in the Bay Area now. He's Canadian from Vancouver, uh, really? and he had a he had a great company that exited to uh, Meta called <laughs> Simon Says. Uh, and his name is Shamir Alibai, and he had a film on the Khan So you can find it somewhere. Maybe oh. it's on, I don't know if it's on Apple or whatever. But if you do, I've always told him I should get commission on the the sales, but he hasn't <laughs> sent me a check yet. Not yet.
1: Well, I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll definitely go looking for it because, like I said, I just find I just find <laughs> such a human being so fascinating in the sense of. a I mean, he's he's originally Persian, countryless at the moment. I guess one could yeah. say, yeah, um, But Olympic skier, <laughs> like there's there's so many yeah, fascinating Iran, yeah. things. married movie stars. I mean, just so many interesting, interesting things. And then you know, spends Sh- his time and wealth to improve the world.
0: We, well, we you know, it's go. an interesting one. It's cr- it's 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 a fascinating story, and it's also you know I, I looked at you know Lagakana, so it's been you know sometimes you accidentally you know, stumble on things that become really relevant to your professional life, right? That are from mm-hmm. like other aspects of your life and that, you know, with, when the queen passed away and you're looking at, you know, the queen and who she's been meeting with, you've seen the crowd, right? Since the mm-hmm. 1950s, watching, there's very few leaders that have been continuously meeting with world leaders across this change for, for the better part of, we're talking about 60, 70 years mm-hmm. and the other kind is there. And, and so now when the world is changing, and I'm looking at all these shifts, the world looked very different in 1960 to 1920, mm-hmm. and we went through all these convulsions, entire revolutions, countries disappearing, empires collapsing, all of these things that today we're like thinking are so huge and uh, you know, leaders uh, shepherded their populations or their communities or their institutions to that, and that's what makes you know, his story interesting. As well as kind of other other kind of figures, but very few and far between in terms of we think of people who who've tr- transcended those eras. Oh, for sure,
1: for sure. Well, your I believe your first startup again doing a little bit of homework here was the progressive group. Oh. Uh, what was the, what was the mission behind uh, that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've had I've had a lot of different things things started uh, and uh, and tried it, uh, by hand. Back on uh, I think the first thing that was we. We started something called Project Encounter, which was a nonprofit initiative, uh, and that was to kind of blend engagement in the Middle East and the West. Uh, and we kind of ran this program for for like two years at the top of the world, kind of bringing young leaders into. And that was when like Obama came to power, and it was all like there was this big chasm between like the Muslim world and the West. Of course, you know. You know, you could. It was very difficult, and I've written a whole report on this to to register charitable institutions out there. So I couldn't really like do that. Uh, and then uh, Progressa, it, it kind of it was interesting. So I have a a, a, a close friend uh, uh, who uh, who passed away, and when when he he was at the White House, he left the White House. Uh, we were talking about actually Middle East West engagement, but from a. A business and corporate standpoint mm-hmm. and uh, we kind of launched Progress as a platform for executive education mm. uh, to kind of bring kind of the best and brightest all thinkers uh, into that part of the world and kind of help you know scale up the capabilities of institutions there and that you know uh, was great it, it wasn't kind of the lead thing I was doing at the time um, and so ran for a few years and then we, you know, decided, uh, kind of it, 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 had its conclusion, but yeah, there's a lot of different element, elements, elements right. there.
1: Well, very cool. You must've met some interesting people along the way. Um, well, tell me um, the, the thing that I think is interesting, cause every time we have a, a C100 event, we're always talking about Chatham house rules and I was always kind of yes. like looking up, oh, this Chatham house thing is interesting. And then I looked up that you were actually on the steering group for the steering committee of the cultural dialogue in the international security initiative at Chatham house.
0: Is that true? Wow, you're really that? going. You're really going back. I feel like somebody's like gone down, down like the LinkedIn rabbit hole, That's just what and, and, is. and and is pulling the stuff, pulling <laughs> the stuff out. You know what? It's part of that journey. I will tell you that you know when I, uh, you know I I remember I was uh, <laughs> I was at McKinsey and Company in in <laughs> Dubai, uh, but working in Libya, Pakistan, Qatar, Saudi Arabia on all sorts of interesting projects. Um, you know, which I can speak to without naming the client. Uh, And meanwhile, you have this president come to power in DC who's changing the game. And I had a lot of friends and people kind of go into different roles there. And this was the biggest issue at the time, which is whole, like I mentioned, the chasm between the Middle East and the West. So I (laughs) had done a lot of kind of work around that in in my early 20s. And, you know, I, I was in, I was in, uh, at Princeton, like you mentioned, at the time of 9/11, I was leading the Muslim civil yeah. Association or co-leader of that, and you know dealt with a lot of just at both the you know student, but then also at a elite level, bring building bridges between kind of really a, it's you know communities that were separate at a difficult time. So when I left McKinsey, I was, I was at the Dubai School of Government, and then I became an expert advisor to the United Civilizations. Then I started this group called Project Encounter, mm-hmm. and the idea was we need to create mechanisms to build cultural understanding amongst different groups, and we, in, in my thesis in undergrad, I was I was looking at all sorts of things around uh, uh, <laughs> Al-Qaeda and cra- crazy stuff like this, okay, mm-hmm. and one of the things when you looked at the surveys is that there's a famous uh, bo- book and article on Clash of Civilizations by Samuel Huntington. But, and one of the things you, when you look at the data is that there's no civilization from a value standpoint, but there are cultural differences. Uh-huh. And so the idea is how can you create the mechanisms to create that understanding, et cetera. And what was unique about the Chatham House project was we short lived and I was you know, a member of, and was it the idea that you could use cultural dialogue to enhance international security. Because if, if then you go deeper and you say, there isn't a civilization there are geopolitical realities that you can accommodate, How culture should not be seen as an impediment. Right? Yeah. That should not be the genesis of why you're having conflict. Although as you know, it does, right? And so that was kind of that era of things that I was focused on uh, at the time. It got very superseded very shortly after as you had all these kind of revolutionary environments in the Middle East, which led down a whole other path. Yeah.
1: Well, Canada, I mean, Canada is a soft power, one could say, you know, we don't carry a big stick yes. um, at all, but do you find it, throughout your travels as a Canadian citizen, you find it easier to try having these uh, discussions or these open conversations internationally about that? Does, you, does your passport help you, is what I'm saying?
0: Well, hundred percent, I think being a Canadian is a huge asset. I think we, we take for granted what, what that means because, you know, one, Canada has this great example. As a country, pluralistic country, inclusive Hmm. country, uh, a country that takes care of its citizens, uh, broadly speaking. And so that immediately gets kind of you at a level of respect. Uh, Then, you know, as a country, it's well off, but doesn't have the colonial baggage of a lot of European countries, doesn't have the imperialistic, you know, perception of an America. Um, So you kind of come in similar to like a Sweden and a Norway, to be Mm -hmm. honest. Uh, I think that's where Canada sits. Um but on the other hand, seen as kind of bland.
1: <laughs> and,
0: and and that's the like mm-hmm. I think I think that's why you see a lot of Canadians who gotta get in the door, but then you need to have a little bit more individual zeal or, or drive to kind of substantiate your presence or uh participation in certain things. Whereas let's say you're from the US, you might get that entry a little bit quicker. Um, and so that's kind of where I would, where I would parse it, but definitely I think, you know, that passport and, you know, you've traveled everywhere, Chris, I mean, yeah, you, you could just get on a plane and go to so many countries. And I think people don't understand like how amazing that is. Right. And that's, they really have experienced the opposite from other backgrounds.
1: But, but you know, something kind of interesting is my, my wife's Korean has a Korean passport. She she's not a amazing. Canadian citizen and I travel a lot. and. They have it even easier than us. Like I'm in I'm in Zimbabwe and I have to pay $175 yeah. just for a visa. They have five, you know? It's um, you know, sometimes sometimes we take uh, you know, we we we, we think we think we've got a good and we do have a good. Don't don't get me wrong. I, I recognize that, but you know, we can always do better. I guess maybe that's maybe that's my way of putting it. Now I've got I've got I've got a question for you. It's the it's the favorite child question. Uh sure. Harvard sure. or Princeton. Where do I send my kids?
0: Uh so the uh the alternative answer is neither. Oh. I think uh, both of those institutions have changed. Mm. Uh, they're fantastic. They have such a depth of knowledge and history, but I don't know if a traditional college and university today, is, is if, you, if that's where you go. And, mm. and, and I, I mean that very sincerely. Obviously, you go to any of these schools, you get a network, it's it's there. Uh, but heavily um influenced by current trends and maybe they'll come out of it uh, i would say the education is different today than it was um, 20 years ago so you're saying
1: you know if you have uh, five, a five pool of five that you're looking at investing and you hear oh two of them went to harvard and two of them went to princeton but one of them didn't go to you know any university at all that you're going to you're going to even subconsciously see them as all equal for what you're trying to do in your investments?
0: I'm actually going to be more interested in the fifth one and say, well, what were you up to? Huh? What did you learn? I, I think it depends, because when you're getting to that level of, let's say, acumen, right? To just get at the door in the conversation, the epic, okay, yes, there's all sorts of other things going on these days, but yeah, you have to have a sort of skill set, intelligence. Then I'm like, if you aren't doing that program, you're smart enough to be taking and getting value in whatever else it a job? Was it another university? Was it a trade school? Was it a fellowship? Was it like a Peter Thiel fellowship? So uh-huh. whatever that, you're at that level. If you're just telling me you're not at that level, well, then you're not going to be going to Harvard and you're going to go to another four-year school. And then that's a whole other question, like, is that worth it or not worth it? But you might need structure for two years. I don't I don't know. That's There's a whole probably pedagogical expert that could go into it. But I'm actually going to be interested because <laughs> if these are your kids, uh, I, I, I going to be interested in the fifth one. That'd be the what's the journey there for
1: sure. For sure. No, I like that. I like that answer. Well, as you know, or at least I hope you know, the theme of the Afternoon Tea podcast is to speak to wonderful and uh, you know, Canadian entrepreneurial in- or investors like yourself in order to prepare that next generation of founders. So, uh, I had these two questions I love to ask, and I'm really intrigued sure. to know your, your thoughts on this. The first being, can you share one that's a solo one piece of advice to help younger Canadian
0: founders? So, wh- know what you want. Uh, I think, are you looking to scale? Are you looking for, know yourself? Are you looking for to, you want to be able to cover the magazine? You want to make a lot of money? You want to do something innovative? You're okay you're taking time. You need livelihood. You got to know what you want when you're scale starting a startup. Because that's going to enable what you build a team, what you build product. And by the way, everything is going to change in terms of the detail, right? The type of product, how you go to market, the tech you use, how you're for, all of that. And we know that's like literally the iteration. But if you right. don't know what you want, No amount of changes is going to get you anywhere. And when you do, you're not going to be satisfied. So That's the number one piece of advice I would give.
1: And I think that's great. Know what you want, people. Know what you want. Well, I know what I want right now, and I want you to help share the name (laughs) of a Canadian entrepreneurial star or founder that you personally look up to.
0: So I think I would would say George Rose. And I think the reason is, uh, you know, He's really looking at the future now. He started uh, D Wave, which is you know quantum computing. I mean, just fascinating. And I think people know that story. And he starts it early, uh, successful. It's uh, listed, uh, and and you know stayed with that journey. And then he, he decides to go down a whole other path with AI and robotics. And you know we were fortunate to invest in that as YVR Ventures. Uh, you know, this indicate with my you know, two other partners, Niall Salam mm-hmm. and Adil Hamad. and you know. What's fascinating about that, again, it's early. I mean, right. we're not, I mean, you know, people talking about AI and chat GPT and, and you know, at Ted, they had, you know, co-founder of OpenAI and Midjourney, you had all these people showing and me and you know, we talked about it, Like this is, this is like changing a mile a minute. It's <laughs> crazy. Right. And it, it is transformative. but there's a big difference between software and hardware, right? And And when you're layering AI on robots, I mean, this is a long journey. People thought by now we would be having automated cars running around and like Uber would be controlling cities. And of course it has not happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Jordi has taken the path. say we're going to go down the path of art. And I think that's just, you know, great because he's going for it. And of course he has funding, he raised at the right cycles Mm -hmm. and we'll see where it leads, you know, I mean, it's been five years and, you know, as an investor, I'm, you know, I'm not saying where's, where's, the return, you're like, okay, let's. This is a long term journey, mm-hmm. um, and and so we'll we'll see where it ends up. But I think it's worth taking that because that's where the interesting things happen. That's where you can really change things, and you have to stick to your guns because everybody's coming at you. You're at the top. You know, people have different visions. It's taking a while. The Investors tell you to you know monetize, and there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of hate. You have to stick with that journey when you're trying to do something transformative. Trying to do something that's going to really change the way technology interacts with the world. That's that's my answer on yeah. on the the one personality.
1: The one person and a Jordy's uh, a great one. I mean, I remember back in university, way back in my days when D Wave was just a concept and a thought, and he was doing his PhD at UBC, and, and I was trying to figure, what's this? What is this? You know, it, it doesn't even make sense to me. Um, in terms of you know the the annealing system uh, of how they're of how they're looking at it, but but I agree. I mean, I've I've been lucky to have spoken to Jordi over the years, and uh, every time he presents something, I get I get just humbled of thinking, wow, he is a big <laughs> thinker. I don't think he thinks in terms of monetary. I think he thinks in terms of revolution, and we need more sure. Canadian thinkers like that. So I'm really glad you brought him. Uh, they highlight him as, as 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 someone to look up to because I sure do as well.
0: Well, agreed, hundred percent. That...
1: Well well, well, Tafik, thank you so much. i, I, I you know i I'm now, i'm I'm gonna say we're gonna we're gonna finish finish this episode for now, but I'm definitely going to continue enjoying you know speaking with you over the years and and learning from you and uh, and uh, I can't wait till the next time you're in Vancouver. I'm in dubai, and we we can hang out together there.
0: Uh, that's fantastic. No, Chris, really look forward to it. Thank you for having me on. and I'm sure we'll end up either in one of those two cities or somewhere else completely random. Uh, And reconnect and do something special together.
1: Something special. I love it. Have an amazing day in New York.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Chris.
1: Ahoy, Afternoon Tea listeners. If you got this far, I assume you like this episode, and that is awesome. Thank you. In such a case, please rate and review Afternoon Tea Podcast and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your feeds from. Afternoon Tea is a podcast with a goal to share the stories of Canada's successful tech entrepreneurs in order to prepare the next wave of founders. We do have some great guests lined up for future episodes, but we would love to hear your thoughts too. Please do let us know who you think should be on the show. You can do so by emailing me at podcast at ttt.studio. That is p-o-d-c-a-s-t at t-t-t-t, that thats three t's, dot studio. You will notice there is no dot com because we are that sophisticated. Furthermore, you can find us at social media at ttt underscore studios. I look forward to chatting with you soon.